As we begin to reintegrate into the world post-lockdown, we're confronted with the fact that our lives are not the same as they were before 2020. And with that comes the realization that a lot of us have to relearn, rebuild, and restart. Struggling to do so myself, I wondered how other people are able to rise from the ashes of crumbled moments throughout their lifetime. I'm Rebecca Lee, and this is season two. How the fuck did you bounce back? Thank you so much for joining me. Take your water, take your sip. Thank take, you. Hydrate. I'm do all hydrated. The <laughs> you had a night, so drink your water. Make sure you. I had it. a. I had a night. Mm-hmm. Mostly recovered. Uh, great. Uh, well, thanks so much for being here. Um, thanks for having me. So, just some background for everybody. Me and MC are friends. We met on set of her music video in. 2021 yep okay december 2021 so almost a year wait what we haven't been friends for more than a year yet that's crazy i know it's crazy it feels like we've been friends for more than that that's wild yeah i feel like i've known you since i was a a teen (laughs) yeah it was definitely more than a year ago we uh we bond over the the music we listened to as a teenager. What was in the car that one time when you were like, wait, you listened to, what was it? Uh, oh my gosh. Do you know what it I'm talking something... about? It was, it was like Taking Back Sunday or something adjacent to it. It was something, it, was it like, wasn't, yeah, it was adjacent. It wasn't I... that, but it was like very emo. Oh God, I can't remember what it is anymore. No, I'll remember a week from now and I'll text you. <laughs> I know, I kind of want to look it up. Okay, so usually the first question that I ask is, what is a challenge in your life? And it can be like at any point in your life, childhood, adolescence, now, a challenge that you faced that you're most proud of for overcoming? Ooh, that is a tough question. It's um, big. Yeah, it's big. And I have a big answer and we can we can narrow it as you see fit. Great. Let's hear um, it. But uh, it's, been, it's been my health and mm. that's been my health since I was about 20 years old. So for context, I am 34 now. So it's been a solid 14 years of, of being a chronically unwell person. Mm. So that's been it for me. Um, and there's, feel- been, there's different facets of it and, and layers to it. Um, but yeah. Do you feel comfortable talking about like what the specifics are or would you sure. rather keep it vague? No, no, I'm definitely comfortable talking about the specifics. So I'm just trying to think of the most concise way to put it. Um, so right before, I guess I was technically 19, right before my 20th birthday, I developed a chronic pain condition that nobody could figure out where it came from. Um, and it's a pelvic pain thing. They told me I went to a doctor. They told me it was a UTI, even though there was no presence of anything UTI related. And I went to like 15 doctors over the course of the next six years, basically feeling like I had a UTI for six years. Um, Like what, what, like it felt like it hurt when you peed or like, like everything hurt when you peed painful during sex, like, like sex was excruciating. Uh, like I was peeing blood. <gasps> it, it was, I, I would go, I thought I was dying and I go to the doctor and they were like, yeah, we, we don't know. And they don't know why you I'd peed go, blood. They were like, no, no, what? They, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was living abroad at the time. I was living with my boyfriend, uh, in London and we were traveling all over the place. So I went to a doctor in Italy. I went to an emergency room with my mom in Rome, like, 10 o'clock at night where I was sitting on the waiting room floor and the doctor was like, you know, my Italian at that point, my Italian's not great. I took like two years of Italian. My mom speaks it fluently. Um, And the doctor turns to her while smoking a cigarette inside at the hospital and goes, you know, she's sitting on the floor. That's probably why. Like insinuating that like me in a dress sitting on the floor, I got some sort of like weird. I was like, you don't have any chairs in the waiting room. And you're smoking inside this hospital. Like, let's not, you know. What? That is so strange. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I went to a doctor in Spain. I went to a doctor in France where my boyfriend at the time had to translate. 
I got no answers. And it wasn't until I came out to LA where I, I, I don't, I've never gotten like conclusive answers about it, but I've had a couple of leads and there have been treatments that have helped with it. Um, and things are a lot better. Like sex is not excruciating anymore, which is cool. I no longer <laughs> pee blood. Which we is love great. both of those things. <laughs> uh, but it shouldn't have taken me seven years, especially like you know, your, your wild and crazy years, 20 to 26, like, right. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird, it's a very weird time to be sort of feeling like you're getting punished for your sexuality in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what did they like ever die when you like kind of sorted out in LA? Like, did they ever diagnose it or like, there are a couple of things I've been told it's, I've been told it's one of three different things. Um, one, there is a bacteria in the human body called urea plasma, which exists. It just exists and it hangs out and it normally doesn't do anything. But for some people, like you can have too much of it and it causes symptoms. And it's been linked in studies to like increased rates of miscarriage. And so they'll treat you for it if you're pregnant but they don't test or treat you for it, generally speaking, if you're just a human person coming in with symptoms. Uh, people are very divided on whether or not it can cause problems. Hmm. That was one theory. And that was the one that I, I was sort of, I feel strongly about. I feel like it was probably that. And I went untreated for six years and now I'm just dealing with some residual side effects of being inflamed for six years. Yeah. Um, and then the other two things, I also pushed to get an endometriosis diagnosis. I went to a doctor and was like, I've never been able to figure out conclusively what this is. And I've never been tested for endo. And the test is, um, it's a diagnostic surgery. So they can't really tell if you have it until they open you up. Uh, and she was like, I don't think you have it. You know, you're not presenting like you don't have these classic symptoms, like super heavy periods or whatever. Like, I was like, I'm pretty sure I have it. And I remember waking up from the surgery and she was like, yeah, you're right. No. <laughs> yeah. It was like, yeah, great. Okay. Um, but it was so, a relatively like minor surgery, but it was good. But like, I shouldn't have to, you know, have an elective $3,000 surgery to find out whether or not, you know, I have this. It's one in nine women have, or one in nine, yeah, one in nine women have endo and then like people... Um, it's been found in like, in some men, in like fetuses, like it's across the board. It affects all genders. And that is just when um, cells grow in places they shouldn't, or is it like, what, yeah. what is it exactly? So there's a common misconception that it's when the tissue of the, um, oh my gosh. Uh, Uterus? Endometrial. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know why I blanked out. <laughs> major organ. Um because it's caused me too many problems. I'm yeah. just trying to forget about it. Yeah, I know, exactly. Um, so it's tissue like that of the inside of the lining of the uterus. It's okay. similar, but it's not the same thing. And they found it all over the human body, even in the brain in Whoa. really rare circumstances. And I was lucky my case was very minimal. It was like on my appendix and like one side of whatever. So that wasn't causing my problems. It was just something else I had, which was, I'm collecting things now. Sure. And then the third uh, reason that they posited this pain stuff was happening was um, the side effects of long-term use of hormonal birth control. Oh, shit. Yeah. So I got the shot when I was 18. Then I, I was on the pill for forever. And then I did the ring. I did, you know, I did everything. And I, all of them gave me migraines. So I eventually had to say goodbye to hormonal birth control. But there have been studies that show that um, it can permanently change the hormone levels in your body. Um, so, and that can possibly lead to pain. But again, that's like, so all of these things are so underfunded and under-researched because A, people get, I was weird about talking it, about it for the longest time mm -hmm. um, because I didn't want to make other people uncomfortable, even though I'm, I'm pretty much an open book about this stuff. Um, yeah. And it also, I think we're programmed to think our, like, can I swear? Uh, yeah. The title has okay. the word fuck okay. in it. Okay. You I'm can just, do whatever you want. Sure. <laughs> Thank you. I moved. appreciate it. But 
I have um, said cunt on this show, so you can say whatever and you, you did want. did it again. And there we go. I have no regrets. Um, yeah, so I think as young, you know, female presenting people, we were programmed at a young age to protect the idea of our fuckability at all costs. Mm. And so for me, back then, I identified as like purely straight. Now I'm like, you know, I'm, I I call myself mostly gay now. I'm like, you know, uh, mostly into women with some exceptions. Like, <laughs> thank God for him. <laughs> that would be really unfortunate. Um, but yeah, like this idea of like preserve, preserving the illusion that people would think they had a chance of having sex with us. Mm. is something that I think I was protecting you know yeah. I don't want to talk about my like sometimes broken vagina right um and have men think I have less value which now like I'm like Jesus like why why did I care but we are raised to care so that's yeah. that one lump of health stuff yeah okay some questions I'm writing right. my questions down as we go so I don't interrupt Perfect. you um did you get treatment for the endometriosis or what does that entail I did so I've been treated for all of the three the common thread with my health things is like I have collected things there is no decisive answer for how to treat so it's just throwing spaghetti against the wall okay so I got on antibiotics for if it was ureoplasma that helped I got surgery for endometriosis that did nothing except oh, make my belly button look different than it did before. <laughs> um, and was that out of pocket? Were those like, or did your insurance cover? So insurance did cover it, but you know, it's that whole thing where I called them to ask how much it was going to be. And they're like, well, it's somewhere between nothing and $3,500. And it's like, right. fucking insane. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and then the birth control thing, the treatment for that is topical hormone replacement. So like really low dose testosterone and estrogen cream, which is super easy and not invasive. Um, that's not covered by insurance, even though there are studies that show that hormone replacement therapy for women, especially testosterone can help with all sorts of things from like lack of libido to like energy to like hair falling out. It's yeah. So that's like a good two hundred dollars every few months um yeah and so it's been this combined effort of just i don't even care about finding out what's working as mm. long as nothing's making it worse um and then i've had to go to pelvic floor physical therapy which is real weird it's, yeah uh, i've seen a lot yeah. of that on tiktok recently um yeah it's a lot. Right. It's a lot of the times it's recommended for people like after childbirth and stuff for right. like strengthening your pelvic floor. But for me, it's the opposite. So mm. it's it's just being casually fingered by a like by by a physical therapist, you know, which is it's just it's weird. Yeah, you get very used to it very quickly. But there's right. something very strange about somebody just pressing on parts of your insides, being like, "Does that hurt?" Does that hurt? Yeah. yeah. I actually kind of want to go to one because I've had like issues with UTI stuff forever, but it was mm -hmm. where they were like where it presented as a UTI and then they would get the results back and they'd be like, oh, there's no whatever bacteria, nitrates. Yeah. I don't really know. Whatever the thing that's in there. There's none of that in there. So you don't have one. And then I'm like, uh, but but this hurts. There's like something. Yeah. Uh, every woman I know, like every woman I know has a similar story, which is so crazy. Wild. And I don't, I don't know if we'll ever, I mean, ever like maybe a thousand years from now, if we haven't annihilated humanity, <laughs> like, <laughs> we'll have figured it out. But yeah, it's a very common problem. And I think people are either like embarrassed or just, you know, we're like kind of already defeated going into it it's like if a doctor tells you they don't know what's wrong it's very hard to advocate for yourself yeah and expensive and time consuming yeah totally like i had a doctor put me on like some sort of antidepressant oh oh you know what they thought it was interstitial cystitis yes. or something i got diagnosed with that and it's not even a diagnosis it's just saying 
your bladder's messed up and we don't know right. what causes it. Don't eat tomatoes or drink alcohol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was like, they put me on like some sort of antidepressant for it at some point. Yeah, yes. And then I've they were been... like, sit on a tennis ball, put a tennis ball between your vagina and your butthole and like sit yeah. on it to like relax those muscles or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, all right, but I haven't like checked in about this was like in college. This was a, w- a while ago. So like, I probably should check like, back in. Yeah. And the thing that one thing that I found that's really helped, which is unfortunate, which I've only started doing recently, like where I conclusively know this has made a difference is Botox injections mm-hmm. to my bits. So like where do they <laughs> not to be like too invasive, oh, but I just no, want to know so, like where they put it. Oh, it's great. It's uh worst pain I've ever felt. No. Uh, it's the word it's excruciating. And I think it's just cuz needles don't belong there. I don't mm. No. So it's my the issue that my pelvic floor physical therapist figured out it's my OI muscle and my levator muscles. So it's not technically like there's nothing wrong with my my vagina. It's it's the muscles around them are all messed up. Okay. And so they like basically it's like it's it's not like what word do I want to use here? (laughs) I feel like an embarrassed little kid. Okay, it's not your taint (laughs) right right right. it's like it's like your inner butt cheek right okay it's the muscles that hold your butt together i'm like touching my yeah so if you sort of like spread it's like yeah yeah, all the way back there but it's very close all right okay um i took an anti-anxiety i've also you know been dealing with anxiety for forever and took an anti-anxiety pill before it and that made it so much easier this last time but like I'll have to go every four months for the foreseeable future. But within a week after the first time I did it, it everything was gone. Like Whoa. all of my symptoms were gone. So, so it's not <laughs> like the needle doesn't go like inside of your vagina. It goes no. on the outs, like the bits that you were talking, like the yeah, it your goes into yeah, your okay, like okay. glute muscle. Got um, it. Okay. And for some reason, I was like, oh, it goes in. Well, and that I was like, wasn't Whoa. an option. Ah, that seems like yeah, yeah. That's not a good. whole different. Like, this is my last. I really wanted to avoid needles in weird places. Sure, and who doesn't? I got a diagnostic. I faced one of my biggest fears a few years ago and got a diagnostic epidural. Um, okay, like they give during <laughs> childbirth, right? Where the yeah, to see if it was an issue with my back. Um, but yeah, there's like a whole bunch of really terrible like you know google pudental nerve block if you want to be horrified about needles in your vagina (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah but i yeah i wasn't gonna do that i also they suggested that and i was like if i do that i will pay out of pocket to be unconscious oh for sure yeah there's no way i'm gonna be awake during that sorry can't can't do it no absolutely not uh so where is the botox covered so none of this is covered by insurance the botox is not covered and at the cheapest, it's $800 per session. Holy shit. And I need twice that much. So, Whoa. and there's a bunch of studies. So it's like every four months till maybe it resolves. Um, and there's a bunch of studies that have shown 75% of people, I think it's 75% of people who get these injections see improvement. It's funny. Yeah. The studies are like only 75%. I'm like, that's really high guys. That's like really great. But there's not enough studies uh, that have been done in order for the FDA to clear it. And it's know. interesting. Cause I'm like the FDA clears some other like pretty oh, yeah. weird shit that probably shouldn't be. Uh, yeah. Like a uh, lot FDA of weird approved. shit. Yeah. And then it's weird shit. I was talking to another guest who has, God, I can't remember his condition, but it's like a vocal condition where, um, he gets sporadic. It almost sounds like he's a like horse a little bit, but mm. it's just sporadic. So it'll just happen at random times for like a couple seconds and then it'll go back to normal. Um, and he said the only thing that has helped really is Botox injections, but two, his fucking like yeah. larynx or the muscles around or something. And he said it was so painful. I can't, uh, yeah, that sounds awful. And he said something that they were like, okay, just so you know, it's going to feel like you're drowning for a, for a couple seconds. And he was like, what? Like that. And he like did it once and he's like, I can't do this again. Like that's how terrifying it is. He's like, yeah, "Yeah, it helped. But then it was like, 
at what expense? Like, it felt like I was drowning. Like, it's traumatizing. Yeah. Um, and I just thought that was wild. It's like Botox has so many uses. Yeah, it's crazy. I have friends that t- that do injections. Uh, TMJ injections, I think, and migraines are covered, which is great. But yeah, yeah, there's a lot of interesting applications for it. Yeah. Um, so what has been like your experience with having to advocate for yourself and like the healthcare system? That's been, I think, out of all of this, the hardest thing about yeah. being chronically ill. And so like to summarize very quickly the, the rest of it, I also got bit by a tick in Massachusetts in right. August of 2017 um, on Antucket, where about 50% of the population has had Lyme disease at one point or another. Oh, I like, didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of deer that aren't native to Nantucket that were brought over by colonists, uh, and there are no natural predators. And so the ticks thrive. Um, and came back to LA, it started feeling really weird, started feeling very confused, had like flu-like symptoms, full body itching, vertigo, nausea, like light sensitivity, memory loss. Um, And I went to my doctor and I was like, I don't know what's happening. And he was like, you're, I think you're anxious. I was like, I've had anxiety since I was a child. Like, this is not, I gained 15 pounds in a month doing no nothing. Like, I don't, un- like, something's happening. Holy shit. Um, yeah. And uh, eventually, like, you know, I it took me a year and a half to find out that I had had Lyme disease. And it just had wreaked havoc on my body. And something around 15 to 20% of people who are treated with for Lyme disease never fully recover. It does damage to your central nervous system. Um, and it's very similar to a lot of the symptoms of long COVID. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of similarities between that and, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia and these things that like, you know, post possibly post viral related, you get mm. sick and then your body freaks out and we mm-hmm. don't know why. Um, and so, you know, I've collected <laughs> these things that like people just don't have answers for. And so that's been, that's been the hardest part of it is, um, going into a doctor's office and not knowing if you're going to be taken seriously. Yeah. Because with the pelvic stuff, I had a lot of doctors roll their eyes and be like, well, you probably have some weird STD. And I was like, no, I don't think so. You know? And then there was like slut shaming that went into that. Um, And then with the Lyme thing, it's been branded as like a rich white woman's illness. Uh, because those are the people that have access to testing. Like, right. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Which um, is also fucked up that the, that's the only group of people who have access to testing. Like super fucked fuck? up. Like you have to have the time to do your own research. Yeah. And the expenses to go to doctors and the time to go to doctors and to really suss it out. I mean, it took me, I like was like praying for hepatitis. I was like, there's some of these symptoms, at least if it was hep C, I could get on some pills. And, right. Like, you know, I would have an answer. Um, you know, I, and I went through like 20 other things I thought it might be before I got to Lyme disease. Cause I just, I grew up around woods and ticks and I was always taught that you get bit by a tick, you go on antibiotics and you're fine. Mm. Um, but at the same time, there was a girl in my neighborhood who got bit when she was eight and wasn't diagnosed till she was 16 and she was housebound. Um, she could, she could not really leave her room. Um, and it was pretty devastating. Holy so, shit. but it's just, you know, the thing is, is when you have an illness that keeps you at home, there's, it's an invisible illness. Like right. I don't, you know, I don't go around talking about it also because of the stigma of people thinking that people who say they have Lyme disease are crazy. So. Yeah. Because like, is, are like any of the diagnosis, like, what? Well, I'm going to take a step back. I don't know yeah. much about Lyme disease at all. So, um. I'm Neither does science. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very naive to this. So yeah, yeah. what are what is the like is there like a diagnostic test for Lyme disease or no? There is. It was developed in the nineties and its sensitivity is very heavily debated. So the medical community is divided into two camps. There are people that are like Lyme disease is easy to cure, the test is super accurate everybody gets better. And if you don't get better, it's some sort of underlying mental illness. And as somebody who struggled with a cornucopia of mental illness stuff, Mm -hmm. like anxiety and PMDD and depression, 
I know what mental illness feels like. Mm -hmm. I, I do. I, um, it's very different. Um, I had ringing in my ears. Like I had there, these very clear things, sensitivity to smell where like perfume would make me want to vomit. Mm. Um, so the tests are, their accuracy is debated. They're working on better diagnostic tests because what it does is it tests for the presence of antibodies. <laughs> Here's the thing is like, I'm the least sciencey per I have historically been the least science interested person in the world. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I'm like writing and theater and music, mm -hmm. but being sick for so long, I've had to learn so much about right. all of this stuff, which has been really interesting in the fact that it's allowed me to advocate for other people, which has been great. Um, but yeah, so the diagnostic test check checks for antibodies and everybody's immune system has a different reaction to stress and to illness. Um, and if you are treated with antibiotics after infection, a, the antibodies take up to six weeks to appear after a tick bite. And if you take antibiotics for some other thing in between that and testing for Lyme, it can affect the accuracy of the test. So okay. if you have like a UTI and you're put on stuff, um, also the longer you're sick, the less that your body will react. There's like a whole bunch of different nuances to it, but, um, yeah, so they're developing better tests. They're developing a vaccine. Okay. Um, but yeah, this, the, the response you see with like a lot of the long COVID stuff is very similar and very triggering where people are like, yeah, just exercise more. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's the worst. It's so hard when people say that, like, because I'm obviously not obviously I'm like I'm obviously <laughs> clinically depressed <laughs> it's obvious it's obvious look at me uh uh but it was one of those things where people were like you gotta go move your body you gotta go work out and I'm like listen I cannot do that because I cannot yeah. leave my bed so yeah. that is no longer an option right now we need yeah. to we needed to get some medication in me or something so that I can then go exercise, but I cannot do that right now. It's like yeah. people don't get it. You know, it's hard. No. And it's like, have you tried yoga is, is, is a big joke <laughs> in the chronically ill community. Cause like people love giving their like, and I have nothing against yoga, but when, when your joints hurt going up three steps, like yoga's yoga's, a, a, a trial <laughs> like yeah not, you know and like exercise and all of these things have been helpful to me as supplements right once I have that base right like, I've done a bunch of treatments for all my stuff and just again with this like post Lyme syndrome it's been just going to different doctors and and trying different stuff and seeing you know hoping something works and I don't know what out of the things I've done have has actually had an impact I just know over time I have gotten better mm -hmm. um but yeah like now I can go exercise but at the same right. time I also need like two days to recover after I exercise so Got I have it. to like really plan my life around knowing that my body I say that I, I'm operating at like 70% of where I was before 2017. Um, and that's pretty good. I wish I had the last 30%, but you know, you yeah. do what you can. So if someone feels like out there that like they have, well, actually, first of all, is, is Lyme disease an autoimmune disease? Is that like- It is not an autoimmune. I mean, okay. it is a- Oh my God. Why do I always get, it's a bacteria. It's a oh, spirochete okay. with a similar structure, the spirally structure to syphilis. Okay. Um, and it's, that's only relevant to say that that's like one of the theories about like why it's so good at like hiding out is that it sort of burrows in your cells. Um, Ugh. but it's a bacteria. Yeah. Okay, okay. And, um, but it does attack your, your immune system. Got it. And if someone out there feels like they have any of these symptoms, wh what type of doctor would they need to go to, to get that like antibody test or so to get again, any sort of diagnosis? To like, it depends where you live. I mean, yeah. like I traditionally, like I haven't given up on traditional Western medicine altogether. There's a lot of stuff I don't like about it. There's a lot of stuff I don't like about 
alternative medicine. I love, like, I think the marriage of those two things is going to be essential to our collective health. Um, I think doctor's ability to say, I don't know, is something we need. Mm -hmm. And we should begrudge people for looking for answers in different places if they're not getting answers in a traditional doctor setting. For me, I went and I got the CDC test, Lyme test, and it showed that I had had Lyme disease. Um, But it said that I had had Lyme disease. Did it say that I had a current infection? And so in a traditional doctor's office, they're like, okay, you're better. (laughs) So the traditional doctor's office gave you the CDC Lyme disease test? test? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, and, okay. And it showed, yeah. And so it was like, oh, you do have antibodies, but that's not showing a current infection. That's showing a past infection. So Got you it. have recovered. And I was like, well, if I've recovered, then okay. why do I have these 47 symptoms? Um, and so there's a lot of good, the, the like, there's this whole class of doctors that are called Lyme literate doctors that get a really bad rap because they're all individuals. And I think some of them have better treatment protocols that are, you know, rooted in more science than others. Um, It's hard because you get to a certain point when you're sick where you're like, I don't care if this has a one in a thousand chance of helping me. I just can't live like this anymore. And that's a big thing that I think traditional medicine fails to understand, which is like, you know, they'll classify this group of doctors as like, they call them Lyme loonies because a lot of their protocols are, okay, antibiotics for a long time, a lot of antibiotics. Are there bad side effects to being on antibiotics for a long period of time? Yes. But if you are so sick, you can't get out of bed. You can't look at a screen. Like I went through periods where I could not comprehend writing. Like I have not really, I have not physically read a book in like three years. My visual comprehension of words has totally changed. I can only really process it like long blocks of text if I'm listening to it. Um, So I did a lot of research. I found a doctor who resonated with me. I looked up Lyme literate doctors and then I went through and I looked at their reviews and um, talked to a few people who had gone to the doctor that I see and uh, he got rave reviews and he definitely has helped me get better. Um, There's also a lot of hospitals too. I think Columbia is the big one. Columbia and John Hopkins both have really great open-minded Lyme clinics where they are looking at merging, you know, traditional medicine with alternative medicine, because there are a lot of studies that show that a lot of the alternative medicine, like there's a, there's a lot of science behind these practices that they're, it sort of goes back to the FDA thing where it's like the Botox stuff works for me. It works for 75% of the people that have been studied for it Mm -hmm. um it's not enough for the fda there's a lot of those examples of studies with the lyme stuff so i would say look up lyme literate doctors read the reviews because humans are humans and there's definitely some wackos out there yeah um but i also went to a traditional neurologist who recited to me five minutes of james joyce's the dead from memory during a doctor's appointment what? <laughs> uh, yeah so like there are weirdos everywhere yeah 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 um yeah sorry very long-winded but it's like i'd like yeah. to try to cover the bases because it's such yeah. a weird tenuous topic where it's like there's certain celebrities i'll see who will announce like i'm sick with this thing and they won't talk about what it is and i know that they're i can tell that it's a tick-borne illness but they don't want to say those words because of the con like the connotations that come with it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So do your research. First step, find someone who's Lyme literate and like maybe go to your general practitioner to see if you can get that test. Yeah. I would go to your general practitioner to see if you get that test. And if they won't, I would go to a Lyme literate doctor. Okay. I mean, it's, it's expanding all over the United States um, because of climate change unfortunately um you know and there's also a lot of other things like in my process i you know i ruled out a lot of other things there are a lot of things that similar present similarly right to Lyme. right how can people advocate for themselves in healthcare 
scenarios like yeah what what can you do if someone's like I don't this isn't a thing so you're fine yeah yeah I yeah and I've gotten that a lot with everything I've had um and what I've learned is if you can bring somebody with you especially if you're a woman bring a man with you bring a man who's not afraid to get sassy um because there's a lot of research proven uh, that uh, specifically, you know, like that they that doctors take white men more seriously. There's a lot mm-hmm. of, of gender and racial discrimination in the healthcare industry. Um, I found that when I do that, people actually listen. Um, the big one that I that's been helpful is that if you they refuse to run a test, uh, test. <laughs> they refuse mm-hmm. to run a test, ask them to note it in your chart. I saw that on TikTok. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It really, it works because they don't want to be the reason that you come back three years later and be like, see, I told you I had this thing. Um, Yeah, I saw that on TikTok about actually ADHD in women. Yeah, oh, I saw that too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We we have a similar algorithm. Yeah, Yeah, and being like, if they won't, won't let you try a medication, being like, okay, well, I'd like to you to note it in my chart that you're not willing to do that. Yeah. And I'm like, and. Have you said that? I feel like I would be so, I feel like I'd be so scared to say that. I sound like a little bitch when I say it. I say it in like a really like meek, whatever way. It doesn't come off as this like badass thing that I want to, you know, I wish I could portray. But yes, I have said it and it has been very helpful. And actually one of the biggest things is like, I found a GP who actually wants to figure out what's wrong. And find an open-minded GP because, like, that is the center of your medical universe and, like, you know, getting referrals to things. I found a GP who is, like, I don't know anything about this, but I trust your experience of your own body. And I'm open to letting you try, like, you know, again, is being on antibiotics for a long time great for your stomach and for antibiotic resistance? No. But if you can't leave the house and you can't think and you can't remember your best friend's last name, which is something that happened to me, which was bizarre and horrifying. Um, then the trade-off is worth it. Right. Um, yeah. So getting a good support system. The other thing is that like your family and friends are probably not going to understand, Mm. which is very unfortunate. Um, I've been lucky to have supportive friends and family, but there's always been like a couple of people who are just like, well, if you were, if you wanted to be better, you would be better. You're not trying hard enough. Ugh. You like being sick. I'm like, Ugh. No one likes being sick. God. I I feel like I've, you know, a part of me has lost the last five years of my life. Yeah. I, which is, you know, I'm trying not to look backwards at this point. But, you know, I, 29 to 34, I was so excited to turn 30. I was like, these are going to be the best years of my life. I got married. I had one year of being married before I was cripplingly ill. And like the toll that that takes on friendships, on a romantic relationship, on family relationships, like it's not, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Um, So yeah, getting a good support system. Also online community is really huge for this. Mm. Because I did a lot of, I, you know, you have to do all of your own research. There are really great community support groups. you know, people just crowdsourcing things that have worked for them. That's been super helpful. Yeah. How do you deal with, so you, I don't remember how you phrased it, but like the effects that this has had on like your family and friends and people, you know, saying dumb fucking things. Like if you wanted to get better, you would or whatever. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with it when family and friends say things like that to you? Yeah. Well, with friends, uh, those people are no longer in my life. <laughs> Great. Great. Is that hard? Was that hard for you or is that hard for you? It was to... hard. Yeah. yeah. It took it took a while. I just kept trying to explain myself. And then it just got to a certain point. I think the pandemic also sped that up where I was like, mm. I don't have time for this. If yeah. you are going to be willfully ignorant, um, there's just no space. And with family, it's hard because I have a very supportive family, but it's also my illness takes a toll on them. They don't want me to be sick. They are really sad about it. Like I'm supposed to be in the prime of my life doing the things I should be thinking about whether or not I want to have kids. I should be, you know, like 
figuring out, you know, career goals and whatever. And like, I've had to put a lot of that on hold and now I'm finally reemerging and doing a lot of, you know, once you realize I, you can't wait to get better, you find a way to integrate what you can do into your life and reevaluate your goals and, and pivot and say, how can I, how can I get the essence of this dream in the state that I'm in? Right. Or, yeah. you know, uh, the life that you want to have. Um, and yeah. so, you know, I noticed it specifically a lot with my dad, like it would be so hard. Cause he would be like, you just, you seem so sad. You, you, you just, you'd seem like, I just feel awful that you feel awful. And the, the sentiment's great, <laughs> but what happens is now I feel like I don't want to bring up anything to you. Like, I don't want to make you sad. So when people mm. start asking you how you are, like a, there's two different, it's, it's this really interesting dichotomy. It's like, I would, I love being an open book and, you know, I think it's, it's the spectrum-y like neurodivergent part of my personality where like, I, I, I will talk about whatever. Um, at the same time, I want people to think that I'm capable. I don't want pity and I don't want to make other people feel sad. Mm. So a lot of the time when people ask me how I am, I'm going to sugarcoat it. Like right. there's no benefit. You know, it's like when people ask you like, how are you today? And you answer truthfully, <laughs> like even at a coffee shop, when you're for a non-chronically ill person, you say, not so great. That barista is going to be like, I don't know what to do yeah. with this. Yeah. This is yeah. the formality. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've just sort of learned to like, there are certain things like, you know, there's certain I, I don't share the minutia of my recovery or like my treatment journey with most people, unless I know that they're not going to internalize it. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and I, I have a therapist, like I don't need to talk to everybody about it. Yeah. But you, you pick up very quickly on who can handle it and be empathetic in a healthy way and who absorbs it or who's not going to believe you or who's, you know, so you just have to be very selective about who you share your information with just to protect mm. yourself. Yeah. And again, like I want to be like seen as a cable, like I could capable person. I think for a lot of chronically ill people and people with disabilities, there's always that fear that like, if I let you know how bad it is, you're not going to hire me you're not going to want to hang out with me. You're not going to want to work with me. You just are going to write me off as somebody who's just, you know, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So yeah. nobody wants, nobody wants that. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of us just pretend, you know, I'm fine. I'm great. Yeah. Uh, how has, God, I have so much, I want to talk to you about, no, um, how, <laughs> how has your, uh, your ill, your chronic. How do I phrase it? Chronically, chronic illness. Chronic illness. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Chronic illness. How has that Wait, affected I, your? Yeah. Is that? Go ahead. Uh, no, I, I usually I, I I call myself a sick bitch. <laughs> okay. Great. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not gonna so. do that because I feel like I don't <laughs> yeah, want I don't want you call fine. yourself that. I will yeah. call. That's I will say I chronic illness. In my head, but chronic illness is great. perfectly acceptable. <laughs> How has that affected your marriage and your relationship? Um, it's been very difficult. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he has dealt with without going into all of his stuff because that's yeah. his own thing, but sure. like has dealt with chronic health stuff as well. Um, and that is a weird fucked up silver lining of it all that to have a partner who's also dealt with similar things is both frustrating and a godsend. Like mm. I don't, because you can't, you know, you can't explain, you can't explain illness. You can't explain pain to people. It's just not something you can't explain depression to people who have never been you depressed. You really can't. Like, yeah. that's so true. Yeah. It's, it's so hard having a conversation with somebody who's never had like depression or anxiety about it. Mm -hmm. like, well, you know, again, have you tried yoga? Like mm -hmm. maybe if you just power through it, it's like, no, that's not how my brain works. Um, but having him have a set of similar experiences has been really great because it's allowed us patience with each other and with this whole process. Um, you know, I don't know. I feel like if one of us were sick and the other one weren't, I don't know if we would have survived this mm -hmm. um, because it has been really incapacitating at times. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it's been hard, but it's also in a lot of ways strengthened our bond. Yeah. I feel like maybe I made this up, but I don't think I did. I think this is a God. I've referenced TikTok three times so far and I'm about uh, to reference yeah, it again. 2022. That's um, where I spend a lot of my time. <laughs> but I feel like I saw something about how there's like a large percentage of men who leave yep, their wives. I know you saw who leave their wives when they get a cancer diagnosis. Yes. And it's the opposite for women. Is it? I think it is. It's the opposite for women. Women are more likely to stay um, and caretake in those relationships. I think there's a feeling of obligation or whatever. Like, I don't, yeah. I'm not going to pretend to be a, you know, an anthropologist or a, right. or a psychiatrist, but it is fascinating. And it's funny because it's like in, in my relationship, a lot of the gender roles don't exist. These like, these things that we would normally, you know, assign to male or female, mm-hmm. which has been, you know, a, that's a huge part of why I was drawn to this person. Right. Um, where it's like, I feel like if one of it, like he's definitely more patient out of the two of us when it comes to this sort of thing, where mm-hmm. it's like he, you know, I picked somebody I knew would not bail on me if I got cancer. Right. Great. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. But it's, Love that prerequisite. The statistics are super alarming. Yeah. And especially as my pelvic pain thing I've noticed in like hetero relationships, a lot of, a lot of husbands bail. Mm. A lot of husbands bail, a lot of husbands guilt. I mean, I'm like looking at this just from like the groups of, you know, 10,000 women from all over the world that I'm, you know, on the only reason I'm still on Facebook other than the reason, other than the fact that all my high school photos are on there and I need to take them off (laughs) and save them somewhere else. But like every other thread is a woman being like, my husband doesn't understand, like, or my husband left me or like. It just, you know, really devastatingly sad stuff. It's, yeah. Yeah. While we're on the topic of, like, sexuality and stuff, and I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about it because you have music that has come out and music that is coming out uh, that talks about. coming out. Lots. (laughs) Lots of coming out. uh, That talks about your sexuality and um, uh, what, 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 I don't want to say you came out late in life. Is that right? No. Yeah. yeah. That is, that's an accurate description. Okay. Um, as did I. And so I just kind of want to talk about like your journey with your sexuality and whatever you're comfortable with. No, Um, totally. That's been really interesting as well. I was raised very Catholic, um, but in Massachusetts. So it was like this weird balance of like, just liberal enough, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like there was no evangelizing. There's no, like the very much separation of church and state in my kind of Catholicism. Mm-hmm. No one was burning Harry Potter books. Like I wasn't cool. handing out pamphlets. Um, and there was always this, <laughs> there was always this idea that like, it would be fine if I were gay. But fine is not good. Right. Fine has a level of disappointment in it. Fine mm. has a level of fear in it. And like I was so, you know, I like I grew up in the 90s or late 90s, early 2000s. So, you know, I was 10 years old in like 1998. And I remember hearing all these conversations about whether or not gay marriage should be legal. And at the time, my family was not pro gay marriage. My parents at least weren't. Um, my grandmother was. She was always been very ahead of the curve on that sort of stuff but um you know I mean you learn at 10 that your parents aren't super down for gay people getting married mm-hmm. and you've been told that like like to want to get married and have kids then you learn that gay couples can't really adopt in certain states and like still can't and then you know you learn about horrifying things like Matthew Shepard and and about you know, and, and from such a young age, people are bullying other kids by calling them gay. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was six years old, I remember asking my friend London, who is my, my best friend at the time, I was like, we should get married. And she was like, girls can't get married to each other. That's weird. Mm-hmm. And like small stuff like that, just, I think it just piled up. And like, I'm the eldest child. I am a people pleaser. I was always very obsessed with not getting into trouble with making my parents proud. Um, I think that was just something that was just sort of innate in me. 
from birth. Uh, it wasn't something that they necessarily taught me. Um, and so the notion that like, I knew my life would be harder and I knew my parents would be kind of disappointed were I gay really kept me from looking at how I felt mm. and, and my attraction. I went to an all girls school from the age of 12 to 18. Was that boarding or no? No, I can't remember. It was a, it was boarding and day. I lived 15 minutes away from there. Got so it. I okay. A, I was a, I also went to an all girls camp for four years. Okay. Um, and like, you know, in retrospect, I remember looking back in these friendships being like, Jesus, I like, we were basically dating. Right. There was nothing physical that was happening, but the intensity with which we were obsessed with each other, um, was definitely romantic in some kind of way. Yeah. Uh, and I ended up not coming out until, so I, when my partner and I got together, we started dating when I was 24. Um, we got engaged when I, so like three years later and the same, we got engaged on bisexual visibility day, which I just realized not That's on fun. purpose, mm. September 23rd. And, um, that same week I had this crisis where I was like, I think I'm queer. I think that I am a, and I like made out with women at parties or whatever. Like, you know, like there'd been things that were like, you know, things I had done for the attention of men. But sure. Like, no, you actually like doing this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I realized I was queer like the same week that we got engaged. And that's been a really interesting journey for me. Um, I didn't really get to come out to my family. I just started vague posting things on Instagram, hiding them from my from them on my stories mm. and then my sister had assumed that my parents had seen it and so she casually brought up my bisexuality she was like 19 at the time so I don't blame her uh to my mom and um my dad has never acknowledged it but he has watched a video of me making out with a woman that music video right sounded really weird out of context my dad, um, I knew it didn't sound weird to I mean. me. It didn't sound weird to me because I knew what you were talking about. Well, like this music video. This music video. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, it's about me. It's this, like, you know, enchantment under the sea dance back to the future, but gay. And um, yeah, it's me. There's part of it where I'm kissing a girl. And like, I know my parents have seen that. Mm-hmm. My dad has never, you know, he's always been like, good job with the music. But there's never been any direct. Mm hmm. You know, and that's just how he is. He's awkward about that sort of thing. But I've had conversations with my mom about it, and she's gotten to a place of really, you know, delightful understanding and and knowing that it's important to me and that she's not going to fully understand it. You know, there's a little bit of that sentiment of like, well, you're married to a man, so who cares? And Mm. it's like, well, queerness to me is not, and and to many people, is not about who you're having sex with or who you're married to. Mm -hmm. It's, It's about a way of looking at relationships and gender and the world um, that's free and open and feels a lot more genuine to me than, you know, the heteronormative world. Yeah. So when you got, when you guys got engaged and you were like, oh, I'm gay or queer or bi or any of the, the terms that you prefer, um, did you talk to your partner about it or like, when did you tell him about that and not just like keeping it to yourself? Pretty immediately. Oh, okay. Before you got Pretty, married. Before we got married. Yeah, it was literally the same week. I was like, hey, okay. by the way, okay. now that I feel safe in this relationship, right. I feel like I can actually, you know, and a part of the fucked up part of it, it was like, I think because of my, that conservative programming, it was a little bit like, oh, now I'm not going to end up with a woman, so it's safe. Mm. You know, I can oh, I can finally acknowledge these feelings because I've achieved this heteronormative goal of, you know, securing a man. Honestly, I um, think mine is the same. I think I I did yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, I've heard it from a bunch of people actually. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, I think a lot of people's partners aren't, you know, they get freaked out hearing that. But it, like, I, you know, I think we had had like two glasses of wine the next day and I was like, I got, I got to talk to you about something, (laughs) you know, like got real serious. And he was like, yeah, I know. I was like, what do you mean? You know, he's like, I mean, I could, you know, like, I I just know, (laughs) like that makes sense. Right. 
now that you say it out loud, I'm glad that you've gotten to the conclusion that I already had internally. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever have like an identity crisis? It doesn't sound like it would have happened then because that's like when you already, I mean, maybe it did, but it sounds like that's when you already like knew and were comfortable talking about it, at least to your partner. But Mm -hmm. like before that, were you ever like, did you ever have some sort of like identity crisis about it or no? And afterwards, I think oh. I had more of an identity crisis about it. Um, I had suppressed it for so long. It was just, it was like looking at these interactions in retrospect where I, I was sad. Mm-hmm. I was sad I had missed out on, you know, and I have moments of that where like, um, you know, my partner's sister is dating a woman, you know, openly for the first time and has introduced her to the family and everything. And we were all together for his brother's birthday. And I had a moment where it made me really sad. Mm. And I realized it, I I was jealous. I was jealous that I never got to give my, I mean, you know, like there would have been a weird adjustment period, but I didn't get to give my family a chance to get okay with it. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense. Like, I think, where they've landed at now is great. It was weird. There were a few like weird conversations getting there. Um, but now they're super lovely and accepting. And I think had I, you know, brought home a girlfriend, um, they would have gotten there and it wouldn't have taken very long. And so there's part of me that's like, you know, watching this person in their early twenties, you know, get to have that open, like open, open relationship. Um, in front of the world and I'm like oh I I'll never get to have that that makes me sad and Mm -hmm. in the sense that like I've always prided myself on being so self-aware and this is the one thing in my life thus far I just fully deluded myself Mm. out of feeling Mm. um and so that's where the identity crisis comes in and sometimes when I go into queer spaces you know there's a little bit about like being married to a you know a, a straight cis man um, where it's hard to find pockets in which you belong, but mm. I, the Nate, like that's not necessarily true. Hard to enter those spaces without feeling defensive and sure. like you don't belong. Um, because the fact is, especially in Los Angeles, those places are, are incredibly welcoming and non-judgmental. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah. it's helped me like finding more queer friends, finding more queer female friends, non-binary friends has been really great. You know, going to events, like sort of reaffirming the validity of my identity um, mm-hmm. in a in a public communal space has been really helpful. Yeah. 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 I mean, it sounds like the effects that community has had on you, like finding the online community for chronic health issues and community for queer issues has been like super helpful for you. And I feel, I feel the same way for me whenever I can like find a community, although it's hard as an introvert, like pushing myself to like go into those spaces. Um, that's a whole, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. Starting is really difficult, but it's like, once you get the ball rolling, it, it feels, it feels great. Yeah. Do you have it like as we're wrapping up? Um, the last question that I've been asking people is okay. Uh, I kind of want to rephrase it though for you. Okay. Do if you could, do you have any advice for anyone either experiencing a chronic illness or um who has just come out or is coming out or is considering coming out? Do you have any sort of words of wisdom for like either of those two categories? I do. Um, you are the expert on you. Ooh. My overarching advice. You are the expert on what you need. You are the expert on what you want, what's, you know, what feeds your soul, what doesn't, what your body is telling you, um, on who you're attracted to. Like, you no matter how many layers of denial I think society wants to put on us um, and like we're socialized at, we're socialized out of trusting ourselves. Um, you know, that we defer to experts and for when you're a child, your experts are the parents and they tell you or religion and they tell you what's right and what's wrong and, and how to be a good person as we grow up. And if we face chronic illness, the experts are the doctors. And the fact of the matter is doctors are people. Mm-hmm. They make mistakes all the time. Some of them received, they all received different training. 
they all have different information about things that have changed. I mean, small sidebar, I went to go get my blood drawn one time. Like they used to recommend that doctors like slap your veins to like bring it to the surface, but there's actually been a lot of studies that show that that makes your veins retreat. Mm. But like, like every eighth time I would go to get my blood drawn, I'd have a nurse be like, <laughs> yeah, hey, you clearly haven't seen the studies. It's like, right? there's no one keeping people accountable and up to date. Um, and at the end of the day, like people kept telling me, like when you get to your thirties, you're not going to give a shit anymore. And you're going to be able to just be yourself. Um, and if I could have gone back and, and sincerely told that to myself in my early twenties, I think I would have come out earlier. Mm. I think if I had really believed things were going to get easier, um, I would have taken a harder look at, at who I was. Yeah. But yeah. You, you get to advocate for yourself. You get to define who you are and what you want. And the rules are made up. <laughs> As long as you're not hurting anybody, like figure out what works for you and live your own unique life. Thank you so much for giving me an hour of your time. Uh, you're so welcome. You know, I love you. Uh, you're so love you too. fucking wise um, and have given me advice uh, all the time. So <laughs> and it's so great. So hopefully other people will take the advice that you're giving because it's yeah. very helpful. Thank you. I hope I hope so. Thanks for listening to this episode of How the Fuck Did You Bounce Back with guest Mary-Kate Hintz. Uh, you can find her on Instagram. Her Instagram handle is Mary Mumbler. You can also find her music, all the places you get music, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, all of that under the name Dalloway. And her Instagram handle for her music is Dalloway Music, D-A-L-L-O-W-A-Y Music. Let's talk about it. Okay, so we talked a lot about um, healthcare in this episode, and one of the first things we talked about is, like, you know your body better than anyone else. So just remember that when you're going into any sort of doctor's appointment or any sort of healthcare situation, uh, you know your body better than anyone else does, and advocating for yourself in the, in the healthcare industry is very hard. And Mary-Kate isn't the first person that I've talked to that has uh, talked about having a really hard time getting diagnosis, getting tests, getting medication, um, et cetera. She talked a little bit about the stigma that comes along with diagnosis, whether that's um, with Lyme disease. She mentioned, oh, you know, a lot of people think it's, it's like a, a rich white person's illness. Um, she talked about slut shaming for pelvic floor issues, which is absolutely insane that there would be a stigma from healthcare workers about health and uh, diseases and issues but in her experience and other people that I've spoken to as well like that that is something that occurs um I love this kind of pull quote but sometimes yoga isn't enough um we were just talking about mental health and um, body and pelvic floor issues and how you know exercise and yoga is a great supplement but but you have to get your baseline okay first so that's something important um, to remember when people are out there telling you like, oh, you just need to try some yoga. Then we talked a little bit about, OK, if you if you feel like you have a condition and you want to get medical advice and help, where should you look? She talked about finding for Lyme disease specifically Lyme literate doctors and reading reviews on those doctors before going to see them. And I think this works for any sort of um illness that you're looking into, find specialists in that area and then read the reviews. She also gave the pointer of bringing someone with you to these appointments. She spoke about bringing a straight white male to an appointment because there are studies that show doctors take people more seriously when they have a straight white man in the room, which fucking sucks. Um, we talked about how there's a lot of racial and gender discrimination in healthcare. Then we talked about if a healthcare worker refuses to do something, like give you a medication or give you a specific test that you're asking for, ask to have them refusing to do it noted in your chart. And she said that she has done this and it has been helpful and has worked for her. So just keep that in your back pocket. She also talked about getting a good support system, your friends, your family, your peers, your loved ones, but also finding support in 
online communities and how that's a really helpful place to get support and get information. I also asked a little bit about like, did she lose any friends or loved ones because of this? And she said, yes, and you might have to reevaluate the friends and the people you have in your life. She also talked about being mindful of who you share what with. Um, she talked a little bit about not sharing like the minutia of her recovery with most people unless she knows that they won't internalize it. And then we were as we were wrapping up the conversation and I asked her for advice for anyone that is dealing with a chronic illness or anybody that is um, thinking about coming out as queer or has come out and just any advice for these people. And she said, you are the expert on you, on what you need, what you want, what feeds your soul, what doesn't, what your body is telling you, who you're attracted to. You are the expert on you. And the rules are made up. Figure out what works for you as long as you're not hurting anybody and follow that She talked a little bit about being socialized out of trusting ourselves, and instead we defer to the experts. Like when we're young, we defer to our parents. When we get older, we refer to doctors or other experts, but really, we are the experts on ourselves. And then to remember that doctors are people. They make mistakes. They learn different things. They're different ages. They're brought up with different ways of learning and different tools and different just illnesses that are even existing at the time. Like I had a doctor who was like, you know, in his 70s. And it's like there were things that have occurred in life, discoveries, new medications that he was not aware of because he went to medical school so long ago. So just remember that doctors are people too. And I hope that this has been helpful for you. Thanks for listening. New episodes every Thursday.